I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and welcome back to Wild Florida, where we take a look at some of the unique and sometimes strange wildlife that Florida has to offer. In this episode, Fort Myers reporter Amy Williams explores one invasive species that, while kind of lovable and maybe even tasty, is wreaking havoc on the environment. You know how a convert's enthusiasm often exceeds that of a person born to something? That's how it is with me and the exotic species that invade my adopted and beloved state of Florida. Every time I see a young Brazilian pepper, I yank it up by the roots and leave it to die. I've worked on volunteer crews pulling melaleucas out of wetland preserves. And don't get me started on Australian pines, weedy trees hell-bent on marshalling an army of clones that marches across the landscape, radiating root tentacles forming an impossibly dense matrix of sinew just under the soil, from which new little trees grow like grass until they've created a colony so dense, dank, and dark, nothing else can live there. So. You'd think I'd be anything but charmed by the iguanas that seem similarly set on invading South Florida. Just like the aforementioned trees, they're invasive exotics, meaning they're not Florida natives, but they do thrive here. And while I am absolutely dead set against the environmental damage they do, I confess a certain fondness for iguanas, if only because they're such handsome beasts. Bigger than anoles and smaller than gators, these three to five foot long reptiles from the tropical Americas started showing up, whether as produce shipments stowaways or deliberately released pets, in the middle of the 20th century and are now firmly ensconced in their new habitat, as expert Tom Portuolo of Coral Springs-based Iguana Control explains. Although the iguana is not native to Florida, they're here to stay. Um, since they are here to stay, um, their, their numbers will grow because the absence of a predator, all the food and shelter that they want, yeah. and the great numbers by which they reproduce are, are the perfect formula for an infestation. Two iguana species in particular have made inroads, a spiny-tailed variety that's established a beachhead on Gasparilla Island and Cape Coral, and the green iguana, which favors Sanibel Island, the Everglades, and the state's southeast coast. The greens are burrowing plant eaters that can tunnel under driveways and sidewalks, undermine foundations, and weaken pond and canal banks. A scholarly 2008 paper published in the Public Works Management and Policy Journal concluded green iguanas present, quote, a maintenance liability to surface water infrastructure, if not a substantial danger to residents. It cited a Broward County canal area with one burrow about every 60 feet. In addition to their ability to de-engineer infrastructure, these iguanas are hard on plants. This is what it sounds like when one meets a head of romaine. Fortunately, this big critter is safely behind bars at the Calusa Nature Center and Planetarium in Fort Myers. Here's how lizard control professional Chris Harlow describes their habits. Well, they're notorious for destroying landscape. That's their big thing. If you've got pretty flowers, flowers that you plant in pots, they will reach havoc over it. Eat them, destroy them. They don't even have a chance to rebud because the iguanas are eating them right away. 
And then the second biggest thing is defecation. If you have a dock, they'll poop all over the dock. It's real similar to a uh, small dog. Yeah, pretty gross, right? So reducing their numbers is key. And that's where Chris Harlow and a small army of trappers across the state come in. They populate like crazy. It's not just one or two a season, like a rabbit or like an armadillo has four babies a year. These iguanas can lay 80 eggs and half of those will hatch. So if you got six females on this bank right here in this quarter mile stretch, you just do the math and it's an explosion. Honestly, it's, it's worse than a plague. That's why the Sanibel city government pays Chris Harlow to make weekly patrols looking for the invasive critters. On a good day, he can take out at least 40. I have three methods, trap, snare, shoot. So I use all three. And it all depends on the situation. Like on, on the golf course here, honestly, um, I use the pellet rifle and I use a snare pole. If I can snare them, I try snaring them. But if I can't, when they're up in trees, I have to shoot them, it's, I have no choice. Sometimes mother nature lends a hand too. Thanks to the iguana's cold-blooded nature, Senebel environmental biologist, Holly Milbrandt explains. Prior to 2010, the city had a couple of concerns. One was um, what we saw as an expanding population of the green iguana in 2009. So that was sort of when we initiated our original um, trapping program. In 2010, we had a really cold January, and our you know, popsicles were falling out of trees all over the state of Florida. And so that was actually really good for our program. Trapper Chris Harlow remembers that freeze well. That one year when we had that big freeze, 2010, there's like 30 of them on the ground. They scooped them up, threw them in a the dumpster, and as the dumpster's driving down the road, the iguanas are jumping out. They thought they were dead. So. People say they come back to life, but what, after 32 degrees and you freeze them, freeze them, like these little guys here, that's kind of how I euthanize them. But I don't drop them in a 20 degree freezer. It starts out 70 degrees, I turn it on. It's actually the freezer's off, and then I freeze them. So they slow, they get torpid and Yeah, it's the, for reptile, it's the most humane way sure. because it's no different in nature. When nature freezes and freezes them off, yeah. they just don't wake up. I think I came out one day after the freeze, and there was, I ain't lying, it looked like Pearl Harbor or uh, Vietnam. There was bodies floating everywhere in the water. Iguanas. The alligators were loving it. It really took care of the problem for a number of years, and we knew it wasn't going to be the last herd of green iguanas. In fact, in the last several years, they've been making a steady comeback. Hence, trapper Chris Harlow's efforts. As biologist Holly Milbrandt points out, the more there are, the more expensive their collective damage. Of course, residents who spent lots of money on exotic landscapes, you know, would like to not have them mowed down by iguanas. But, you know, we definitely had some concerns just about their, their sheer numbers. Um, but that being said, in um, 2015, uh, either 2015 or 2014, one of the, uh, we were getting reports and starting to um, become aware that the green iguana population was expanding again. And now we asked citizens on Sanibel to report any iguana sighting to our police non-emergency number. 
And then we track those basically through a spreadsheet that we give to the trapper when he's on island. Year to date, from October 16 to now, um, we've removed 558 iguanas. Wow. Yeah. And 16 was uh, 662. 15 was a partial year, so we started our program in February of 2015. That's essentially when we um, renewed a contract with a trapper. So from mid-February through the end of September 2015, we had 508. Trapper Chris Harlow explains why that's a problem. The biggest thing is is uh, they're invasive. They're non-native, so there you go. That's, that's the main word, non-native. And anytime you have something that's non-native, whether it's an iguana or a rat or a rabbit or any other animal, um, it draws a red flag. They don't know if it's going to mess up the ecosystem cause problems with the, uh, the environment. Are there any natural predators to control them? That's what their biggest fear is. Once he makes a catch, Harlow sees to it his prey doesn't go to waste. Here we go. We have, uh, looks like a little male green iguana. You guys ever go fishing? It's like going fishing. Instead of pulling out a fish, you get a green iguana. Once Harlow has got one, into the cooler it goes. Most Sanibel residents might not see them that way, but people from the same geographic region as the green iguana know them as tasty gallina de palo, or chicken of the tree, which Harlow gives to his Mexican and Central American friends. They eat them. They uh, barbecue them. They saute them, they put them in sauce, tacos, make them for tacos. It's a delicacy. It's, uh, it's pretty good. It's equivalent to chicken, just like anything else. It really, real similar to chicken. Basically, if I was to feed it to you and I didn't tell you and I barbecued it, you wouldn't know. Iguanas have also set their colonizing sites on Gasparilla Island, especially the Mexican spiny-tailed variety. They're in good company. This laid-back paradise also attracts presidents and the ultra-wealthy alike. Like the green iguanas, the spiny tails are native to Mexico and Central America. But unlike their vegan cousins, these guys are omnivorous. The biggest thing with Boca Grande is they have uh, burrowing owls and gopher tortoise, which both burrow. So does the spiny tail. They'll share the same holes. And if there's hatchlings hatch out, they'll snatch them up. They did biopsies on them and found remnants of tor uh, tortoise shells in their stomach and chicks, that kind of thing. Spiny tails also reproduce efficiently. A 2005 Florida Gulf Coast University study determined at least 10,000 iguanas lived on Gasparilla Island, which means they outnumber the humans there by more than five to one. Yet. As I waited in my car recently on the causeway to the island, I found myself fascinated by a spiny-tailed iguana nosing in the grass. It was a female, I think. I spotted no long masculine mane of spikes, and a young one, too. Her tarnished silver body was still tinged with juvenile green. In the slanting sun, her tiny scales gleamed like a sleek metal pelt. She was studying something below her, cocking her head from side to side to examine it with glittering black eyes. She took a slow step back, 
then lunged. Between her blunt jaws, half a donut oozed lemon cream filling. As quickly as she'd seized the sugary throwaway, she dropped it, bending to wipe both sides of her head on the grass. Then she turned and looked straight at my car. She blinked once and raised a thin-clawed foot to swipe at her head in a gesture unnervingly like a reptilian salute, one invading species to another. I'm John Torres, and thanks for listening to Wild Florida. That was news press reporter Amy Williams. You can follow her on Twitter at A-M-Y-S-W-F-L. We hope you've enjoyed our somewhat lighthearted approach to some of Florida's amazing wildlife. I'd like to thank our partners at Treasure Coast Newspapers, the Fort Myers News Press, and the Pensacola News Journal. For more information on these critters and web exclusives, please go to tcpalm.com slash wildflorida or newspress.com slash wildflorida or our other participating sites. Wild Florida has been brought to you by the USA Today Network, Florida.